0: I'm super excited about this interview today because for me it shows such courage, resilience, and grit. Trevor Watts is the Queensland Shadow Minister for Police, Border Patrol, and Corrections. Trevor announced in Parliament that something more needed to be done to raise awareness and support for the many dyslexic Australians. His speech really moved me. For the first time in Australia, Adults with dyslexia from all walks of life are standing up and having their voices heard. Welcome to the show, Trevor.
1: Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having us.
0: Uh, So Trevor, we met you in October during National Dyslexic Awareness Month where you um, talked to us about your dyslexia, which you hadn't really spoken about in public very often. What was life like growing up for
1: you? Uh, I, yeah, I, I grew up uh, in England, just east of London. Um, and, um, and school school was, uh, you know, I, I had a lot of fun at school, but that's because I was fairly naughty. You know, the, the thing that sticks in my mind is the, the sort of dreaded, you know, 10 spellings per week. And um, the way it worked at my school was whoever got the lowest in the class, and there was a sort of about 38 of us in the class, you you got the privilege of going up to the board and writing out the letters of how it should have been spelled, as everybody else called them out for you, which was very helpful except for, you know, occasionally you'd write a letter, you know, a B as a D or a, a, a backward E or, you know, eventually you just didn't want to go up So because I was often... Um, pretty much every week I was bottom of the class so you know so I I I learned to uh, misbehave um, prior to the spelling test so that was obviously you know I reflect back on that now as a young child and that was a fairly obvious symptom that for whatever reason you know um, under-resourced lack of awareness you know sort of 40 40 however many years ago that is um, you know and I slipped through the cracks so i sort of treated education as a place to catch up with my mates where I could have some fun and you know I guess I never really imagined that I was stupid but I did try to avoid certain amounts of work particularly you know everything that was written and reading based I would avoid so you know whenever we were doing practical tasks I was always really enthusiastic because I wanted to do those.
0: And so did that, was it the same kind of experience when you went through into secondary school? Or did you find secondary well, second, school easier?
1: Secondary school was a bit different. The school I went to was streamed um, from 1 to 15. So uh, I, I distinctly remember um, the first time it really dawned on me was we were all streamed for maths and we're all sitting in the um in the assembly hall, and they're calling names out to go to the class, um, and they started uh, at the top, and so they've called the you know, the top sort of 35 or whatever it was out to go to the uh, set one for maths, as it was called. I obviously wasn't listening, and so anyway, they've gone through the whole school, and everybody's been called out to go to their classes, and I'm still sitting there, and uh, I've gone up, and they said... Um, Oh, you know, weren't you listening? You know, you're you're supposed to be uh, have gone to Mrs. Broom's class, which was a set one uh, maths class. And I sort of said, no, no, I think that must be Adrian. There was another boy called Adrian Watts at my school. I said, no, I think that must be another boy. Like that it must be a mistake. And they sort of insisted it wasn't. And I went along. And that was the first time I guess where I realised that uh, potentially I'm not stupid. I just um, have a uh, I'm acquiring knowledge differently um, and so I, I got into that math class and and I found it really difficult because a lot of my work was um, not neat at all and um, Mrs. Broom made you use ink pen and <laughs> red lines and mark it all out and everything else and I used to uh, get uh, all the answers correct but I'd be made to do the work again and again and again until it was not smudged and it was neat and tidy and it was to her liking.
0: So, Mrs. Broom so, really affected you <laughs> all these years later. You can still remember her well, name.
1: <laughs> I, I remember it very clearly. Uh, and, and to be honest, she, she probably taught me some really good quality basic maths because I would be one of the first finished and I'd have to do it three times compared to everybody else. So, by the time we got through it, I knew it. <laughs> and then it was the same, you know. So, physics, I did well. I loved metalwork. I loved PE. Um, you know, I avoided English like the plague um, but as we went on in, in the UK they, they do what then were called GCSEs and, um, and so at, at 15, so the equivalent of year 10 here, you take what were O levels and GCSEs and um, I, um, I had entered into a lot of GCSEs that my teachers didn't put us in for so it meant I had to pay for them. And um, uh, because the, the teacher said your chance of passing is not high, so you, we're not going to do it.
0: Wow. So I
1: entered in. I entered in for these external exams at my mum's request. And um, if you pass, you then have to go and get a piece of paper signed by all your teachers, um, and you get refunded the money that you uh, spent on the external exam. Um, and the one that I was really interested in doing, there were actually two, which was English language and, um, and English literature. And my English teacher was Miss Lucy, who for whatever reason never diagnosed me as dyslexic, but she knew there was an issue. And she also knew I wasn't stupid. So um, she, uh, for English literature, we did The Merchant of Venice. And um, I learned The Merchant of Venice uh, by going to the play about four times. And she got me... Out of the public library, a set of four old vinyl albums, and I just listened to it over and over and over. And um, when I when I finished, I, I passed uh, eleven GCSE O levels, which was more than most, because I had entered a whole bunch of stuff myself, mm. including English language and English literature, uh, both with the lowest grade you can get and still consider it a pass, <laughs> but all a pass, a pass all the same.
0: That's right. And
1: you know. Yeah, one of the greatest things was was going and seeing her because she was so happy for me. Um, But then I remember going from her to go and see my physics teacher who, even though I had done very well in physics, he he wouldn't enter me into the exam because I never used to do the homework. And um, anyway, long story short, he had to sign off on on me.
0: So, How did that make you feel that the teachers didn't want you to sit those exams or that your family had to pay money for you to sit them because they didn't believe you would pass. Like did that knock your self-confidence or did it give you that grit and determination to prove them wrong?
1: Yeah, no, I was an angry child. So it was <laughs> grit and determination for me and, um, and my family didn't pay. I, I was working part time selling jeans at that point, uh, on the market and I paid, um, wow. And I was determined to, um, I was determined. So, you know, like metalwork and technical drawing, woodwork, um, you know, these are all the subjects that I had taken as my, um, you know, uh, uh, selections through high school. Because obviously, I tried to avoid anything that required me to read or write a lot, but I couldn't get out of English and English literature. Um, so they were the two most challenging. Whereas everything else I was doing was like physics, chemistry, maths, uh, metalwork, technical drawing. You know, there was all. Um, subjects where there was limited amount of reading to be done and limited amount of writing to be done.
0: That's amazing and especially that the chemistry and physics and maths because that's still a lot of a lot of people struggle with maths so it was good that you had that area that you felt strong in to encourage you.
1: Yeah well I mean it, it it was weird because I used to go, as I said, my school was streamed, so I was set one for maths, set one for chemistry, set one for biology, remedial for English, and before we got to our options, I was remedial in a bunch of other subjects that were all language-based. And so I had a really diverse group of friends in a big school, um, from you know what would affectionately be known as the boffins to affectionately what would be known as the troublemakers. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I scoured backwards and forwards in a day between, you know, those classes. So school, you know, I had a, I had a lot of fun at school, um, but um, I, I look back now and think how much easier it would have been and how much of the uh, English subject I could have learnt if I'd been able to acquire the knowledge differently instead of having to read it all. So like if, if you said to me, what's a noun, what's a pronoun, what's a verb, what's a this, what's, you know, I, I was not turned on um, to listen to that in class at all ever. So even today I would still struggle to sit down and give you a written description of those things.
0: I think I only really learned that when I did my speech pathology course. And we had to look at, yeah. is that a full sentence? And then you had to write which word made it a full sentence. Otherwise, I would have been the same. So how old were you then when you were diagnosed with dyslexia? It was out after school.
1: Yeah, so so um, I, I left school young and I, I worked in London for a couple of years. And then I was on the way to see my dad who was living in Perth. And I, I stopped in Hong Kong and I, I, I played basketball over there for a while and I had a, a job on the side. Uh, for a video production company and um, so I did that for sort of four and a half years and what I learned from my Chinese friends was that education was really important and it was so highly valued uh, by them and their families where a whole family was sacrificing everything for one of my friends to be able to go to Hong Kong University And, and that was the first time it really occurred to me that you know this is something that must be really important if if you know like his brother his mum his sister in law his dad are all working to pay for him to go to university, then I need to understand a little bit more about this university thing and you know and, and what goes on and and the world was slightly different then not as many people as a percentage went to university, but that was what made me interested in the world of academia was my chinese friends and um and so while I was uh, in Hong Kong, I decided, um, you know, uh, this is sort of 19, I don't know, 88, 87, somewhere around there, and um, lots of people were up in Asia trying to recruit, including um, QUT. So I sort of thought, oh well, I'm an Australian citizen, oh, let's find out about this QUT. So I applied from over there and um, was accepted uh, by them. Um, not coming through a normal process. I had done um, some uh, part-time study in Hong Kong to get to the point where I could sit an exam with those guys. And I, um, I came down to Australia in um, '89, and uh, I sort of turned up on campus and they told me I had to do this thing called an LACOS course before I could start university. And I was like, yeah, okay, that's fine. And I turned up, and I didn't know what an Holocaust course was, but it turns out what it was was an English language intensive course for overseas students. <laughs> and so so I arrive, and the guy's looking at me strangely going, so your first language is English, right? And I'm like, yep. And he's like, so what are you here for? And I'm like, I don't know. This is the piece of paper I got told me I've got to do three months of this before I can start my university course. And uh, that was when they said, "Oh, well, that's interesting." And he asked some questions, and then he he got me to do some tests, and, and we spoke a little bit. And that was when you know he turned around and said, um, "Why didn't you just tell us you're dyslexic?" You know, and I'm like, I "Didn't really know exactly what that is." <laughs> so you know, there's no Google at this point to look up these things when someone says something you don't know about, and uh, and, and so that was really the first time and, and they gave me some uh, opportunity to do a bit of research myself uh, through the University Library as well as some pretty simple techniques and and at that time computers you know like we take it all so much for granted now but uh, the program WordStar had just come out and um, you know I was using that on an old monochrome screen and when i type up an assignment um i'd have so many words underlined that it would it would take me almost as long to go through and check it (laughs) as it would to have written it and um and i remember sometimes i'd have to get my my uh, flatmates to look at it with me because I couldn't even guess close enough to how the word should be spelt for the computer to work out what word it was. I was trying to say. Mm.
0: And then do people tell you to have a look in the dictionary? That always baffled me because I think if I can't (laughs) spell it, I don't think a dictionary is going to help me if I don't know the start of
1: the word. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, I I mean, I had all of that, but I I was very fortunate. I had some good friends who were, you know, very understanding and, uh, and they were, um, you know, very happy to help and it became a sort of bit of a running joke you know I'd be sitting there with the computer and I'd be calling out how do you spell how do you spell how do you spell and eventually they'd they'd turn the telly off and all sit around and go why don't we just go through it Treff? why don't we just go through it it's going to be going to be quicker and less annoying if you just ask <laughs> us all in one go um what
0: a great group of friends
1: yeah yeah it was
0: And so did you, having your diagnosis, did that make you feel better about yourself and the challenges you'd had? How did you react once you'd had time to process it?
1: Well, I guess from my point of view, you know, I was very fortunate to arrive in Hong Kong and I played basketball at quite a serious level over there for Southern China. And so I didn't feel bad about myself at all. I just thought, you know, I'm just not a sort of, you know, academic kind of person so from that regard, it was okay. What it did was allowed me to understand what had gone on. And so, you know, by simply sort of, you know, cutting a hole in a piece of paper and tracking it down sentence by sentence, I could I could suddenly start absorbing knowledge and I could actually remember it. Um, and And I didn't jumble all the words around, you know, because before that... I'd, I'd basically read a you know a sentence and I'm picking words out at random that are all out of the paragraph to kind of just make sense in my head. Mm. And I'm just talking gobbledygook, you know, it just wasn't making any sense at all. And so, you know, before that, when I was reading stuff, sometimes I'd be reading it, you know, four, five, six, seven times to try and understand what the hell the page was talking about.
0: Wow. Um,
1: so... So yeah, for me, um, it, what it did was was help in terms of my ability to be able to get through the course. Now, I'm certainly no great shakes as an academic, um, you know, uh, um, but but I got through, and uh, and I, I wouldn't have got through, I think, without the help of computers, my friends, and the ability to be able to, you know, sim, you know, so simple, cut a hole in a piece of paper, and and track it down a page. Mm.
0: Mm. That is really simple and a tip that probably some of our listeners might want to try. I might suggest that to my brother because he doesn't read a lot, but he says the words all move on the page and I wonder what might help him.
1: Well, for me, for me, it's not, you know, I wouldn't even necessarily say they, they move, but I literally, if I look at a paragraph that's got sort of five or six sentences in it, I really struggle to follow it line by line, word by word. I I end up picking words that are three or four lines below a couple of lines above you know one that might be before the word one that might be after the word and and my brain will just sort of try to make sense of it all so it's quite often what I you know if I'm reading something what I say will actually make sense but it's just completely not relevant because it's not what's written in front of me I've just picked all these different words out
0: That's exhausting uh, and, you know, and
1: it's, Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Um, well, I don't read much. Mm. <laughs> even, even today, you know, I um, I have a computer to talk to me a lot more than I actually read the words myself. You
0: know. Yeah, it's however you can have taken the information, I think, whether it's listening or yeah. reading or... So can you walk us through your working career? Because it's been very diverse, from basketball to yeah. now shadow minister in parliament. So what has yeah. it been like so, for you?
1: Well, I mean, if I start right back at the beginning, you know, I've, I've done everything from sort of, you know, uh, wash cars, sell jeans. I worked in advertising agencies, um, and that's when I was in London. Then I, I worked for video production. I worked for a publisher. Probably, if I use the publisher as the example, the work I used to do for them was actually an early version of Excel, a, a thing called um, VisiCal, kind of Hewlett-Packard computer, Mm -hmm. And uh, it it was all just numbers and data uh, on spreadsheets with big thick lines tracking everything across. So everything's in a neat little box and all the boxes line up and I've got lines everywhere to help me track it across. And um, and, uh, I could do the maths of it right so I'd be able to see if I'd made a mistake pretty quickly because I'd look at it and go, well, that number doesn't make sense. Um, and so, you know, uh, at different times I had different jobs where I could overcome it. Um, I got into trouble, uh, a number of times for not having things spelt correctly when I've had to label things. And, um, you know, in the ad agency, I remember posting off some stuff, you know, part of my job in the, was in the packing room and, and uh you know i've got the address completely wrong and something really important hasn't arrived where it's supposed to be yeah. on time and i'm in a fair bit of trouble for it um but but you know then um sort of whilst i was at university i got into hospitality where i i, I work doing you know security and bar work and obviously there's very little writing involved in that and and a lot of talking and meeting people and making sure you're keeping people happy but not a great deal of of written work and so I found working in hospitality both whilst I was at university and then even after university I found that industry suited me a lot because I was dealing with people I had to be able to talk and um, you know when you use a till you don't so much have to read what is on all the buttons and where you're pushing you just have to know where they are on the on the till, mm-hmm. and so I'd, I'd color code that whole card, and uh, you know I, I, you know you could easily work out which buttons are where, without getting yourself confused because of both the colors and the position. So even today, you know I find I find using a, a keyboard a lot easier than handwriting because I don't get the wrong letter as often just because I'm simply I know where it is on the keyboard. Um, so it's harder to get a B and a D mixed up because they're on they're on different places on the keyboard. Mm. Um, whereas if I'm writing, you know, sometimes I'll i have finished writing and it's only when I look back at it, I'm suddenly going, oh, you idiot, you know, what have you done? You've got the wrong, you've put the wrong letter there.
0: Yeah. So then how did you end up in government? Because you have to read a lot and write a lot <laughs> in in politics. Yeah,
1: well, well, interestingly, you know, um you, you know that that would be that would be the the thing that most people would think and to a certain extent that that is that is true but um what i would say is you know i, I the reason i went into politics is is out of frustration with the government you know i was running a small business and they kept taxing me and regulating me and giving me more and more <laughs> pieces of paper to fill out and eventually i just got sick of it and thought well someone's got to go and tell them that you know this doesn't help people run businesses so, so that's what led me to government, and a lot of that work is listening to people. A lot of that work is is actioning and and trying to get solutions for people. And um, as a local member, you know your job is often to help people negotiate the bureaucracy. And, um, and, you know, one part of your job is constituents who are struggling in dealing with the, the sheer bureaucracy of government and, and trying to provide them help. And so for me, I find that easy because I, I can listen to what they're saying and often I can empathise because I've, I've been that guy up against the bureaucracy, not being able to follow or understand all the rules. And, you know, a lot of my work in that situation will be done by phoning people. I just get on the phone and go, this is ridiculous. And they'll say, can you email it to me? And I'm like, no, mm-hmm. I will do a TV interview and let everybody know what I think if you don't fix it. You know, <laughs> and, um, and so, so that side of it has been okay. With, with the legislation, I've got a pair of, um, Uh, very good headphones and a a microphone you know they're actually gaming headphones with a microphone and so you know I can dictate and uh, I do that a little bit you know computers are getting better and better at listening and being able to um, prepare written work for that I also use a translation company where you know you put it you record it on your phone send it off and a couple hours later it arrives back spelt correctly and punctuated and laid out and then I can talk it through with staff in the office to just make sure that there's not anything silly (laughs) gone on in that translation (laughs) sort of process. Yeah. Um, And and in terms of the reading, uh, a lot of knowledge acquisition for me is by having meetings and talking to people. Um, And also, you know, where I can, uh, I will use audio books and online and, um, you know, my I then get to a situation where I I do have a program that will, um, you know, just your Apple stuff will just read it to you. It's a little bit robotic, but if I'm reading it, um, I'll often get that to play at the same time so that, you know, I've got the computer saying it and I'm following it. Mm -hmm. And that sort of helps me keep on track. Um, And then lastly is just quite literally, I'll get the ruler out, which sits right by the edge of my desk here and I'll, I'll, um, <laughs> I'll lay it down on the paper um, you know in in terms of delivering a speech in Parliament when it's technical um, uh, that's when I feel the most stressed um, I uh, will have a situation where I'll, I'll either use a piece of paper and track it down the page or or I'll spread my fingers across on the line and I'll sort of go line at a time and you know we use a particular typeface and a particular point size and particular spacing and um, if I find myself getting lost I literally every single page I have prepared is a completely new topic so that if I get lost I'll I'll literally you know I'll I'll either put the piece of paper to my left or my right if I know I haven't covered it properly because I've just lost my way um, I'll I'll pull that piece of paper back out later and have another crack at it.
0: Wow you've Um, got so many strategies in place. It's amazing. Yeah, like your the, uh, tec- uh, technical skills are just blowing me away. I still can't get um, dragon speech or even dictating into my phone properly, so it's uh, just well, the, amazing.
1: The, you know, yeah, uh, and they're all different things. But but when I deliver a, a a speech, you know, Hansard are brilliant because they pick everything up and they can spell and punctuate and they do everything. So my my written speeches have never looked so good as when Hansard have, have, have typed it up for me. Um, <laughs> but, but I, I often will do just a mind map you know mm-hmm. I, I have a I have a, a, a both a software program but I, I, I do a lot of it just by hand and I just do a mind map where I've sort of got you know key phrases in a bubble so if I know I've got to do 10 minute speech I know my topic I'll have my sort of central topic in the middle and I'll run 10 bubbles off it each with just maybe two or three words inside the bubble which is the prompt and that is then what I'll use to to speak from. And, wow. Um, and, I'm and that, try that. that. Oh yeah, it, you know, like the, the mind map, and I, I bought a program to try and make it look a bit more professional because the poor people at Parliament, you know, they say, "If you've got any notes for your speech," <laughs> and I send them this piece of scribble, and they must look at it and go, oh, "What has he done?" You know. Yeah. Um, but literally the 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 mind map for me, where I just I just have a, a three word central theme. And then I know and there's a clock right in front of you and um, you know I know that I've got to talk for one minute on each of these topics and you know that's as I say the the stressful ones for me are when it's technical and you're talking about you know clauses to a bill mm. and you you've got to be very precise you can't you can't get these clauses wrong you know you you, you can't you can't say 45 instead of 54 yeah um, you know you, you, and that's you know, you'll, you'll see minor highlighted and underlined, and I'll say it a couple of times just to make sure that I get it right. Um, and, and that, so I find that the most stressful. Talking off the cuff, I find much more comfortable.
0: So when you're doing um, the ones with the numbers, is that timed as well? Because I've been going to Parliament quite a bit now, I've been watching people do their speeches. So when Yet. you're, there, they're the timed as well. So yeah, that would be a lot of pressure. I struggle doing public speaking normally but I love the mind map idea because I get lost in all my pages and then I forget to yeah. turn them because I know the majority of the content but it's just those key points that you want to make sure you don't miss um
1: well for me for me it is exactly that it is if I know my topic and I know I've got 10 minutes and I know that I've got you know I, I usually if I've got 10 minutes I'll put nine things on, on the sheet and I know that I've got a minute on each of those things with. 30 in and 30 out and and you know often I'll even write in one of the bubbles you know intro outro you know so that I know that when I click round the clock off my on my page which is what I do I sort of start at 12 o'clock and I go all the way around until I come back up with the mm. bubbles and then I um, you know I cross them out as I go and uh, and literally the last one you know says outro and I'm like okay I've got 30 seconds to close this off you know
0: that's, yeah, that's great strategy. I'm going to test that. And I wonder, I was just thinking how I would do that with my PowerPoint presentation, but whether you put the little slide and then the mind map against the slide, I'll have a little play now. That's a great strategy. Yeah, well, Thank you for sharing that.
1: Yeah, well, as I say, it it, it works for me. And, um, you know, what i found in talking to other people who've had dyslexia is that there's, there's not one solution and there's not, you know, certainly some people I've met um, have... Have much more difficulty than I do um, you know I, I would consider myself quite fortunate up against some people I've met um, just simply because uh, mine is not as severe it, it it's difficult uh, but it's not as severe and you know like I, I met one young lad which is actually the reason that I decided that I should say something you know and he his, his teachers said to me he said well you know when we when he first started um, we had to explain that the black bits were the words. Oh wow! Because yeah, he 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 literally didn't know whether the white gaps or the black bits were which one of the words.
0: Do you think that was part of his uh, literacy education, or do you think that was purely his dyslexia?
1: Well I think it was probably you know he would have been about eight uh, at the time I was talking to him and his teachers had been doing some work with him and um, I would say that um, it'd be a combination of of things you know it's like so many things you know it's not it's often not just one thing going on there's there's more than one thing going on and um, you know he had a a couple of other difficulties in his life as well Um, but dyslexia was not helping because he was getting incredibly frustrated i
0: could imagine especially if you don't you can't decipher the words between the white gaps like that would stop you from wanting to engage in reading at
1: all well well that is what had happened yeah um you know and, and for me again you know like when i when i worked for the video production company in hong kong we, we did some work for a company called McGraw-Hill, which is an education. You know, mm. They do books and everything else. Well, they also do videos. And so, you know, one of the ways I acquired a whole bunch of knowledge about business was we had to translate a set of videos from a company called Video Arts into Cantonese. And uh, some of these had um, John Cleese uh, in them, so there's a lot of British humour. And they were really struggling to translate What was going on and so we I had professional people who spoke both languages but I had to sit down and explain why that was funny or why that comedy was there so some of those training videos I'd have watched 25 times just trying to get the translation right Mm. so by the end end of it you know the topic Um, and you know and in today's world with with you know YouTube and, and you know so many more technical ways you can absorb knowledge um, I think that it, it's a, it's a great time to be dyslexic in terms of you know there are there are lots of ways you can acquire knowledge.
0: Yeah you're right I mean I definitely wouldn't have got this far without technology and um, all the things that have come along in the last 15 years we are really really lucky to be in this time and um, you ha- you wrote your speech for parliament during October for national dyslexic awareness month, and you bravely yeah. opened up um, about your experience of dyslexia and the importance of looking at how we address it uh, in the community. So how did, um, it's been a month since you did that. How have you felt since then? And what's been the reaction from your family and colleagues and people around you?
1: Look at, it- it's actually been very positive and you know one of the reasons i never come out publicly um, was not out of embarrassment or anything else it was literally i don't want anybody to compensate because i can't do this you know um i i never wanted to be treated differently or for someone to say oh poor trevor you know i i've always been a bit of a fighter and so i never wanted to play you know the so-called victim card so for me i kept it quiet so that um people uh you know wouldn't give me any uh, leniency for it because i didn't want any um but the reason i came out was because i think it's important that people recognize that this is quite prevalent in our community and that there are there are certain things that dyslexics can offer which is a different view you know so quite often i would find myself in a you know a group of 10 people and we'd be talking through an issue and i just have a different point of view to everybody else and mm-hmm. you know at first i thought well maybe i'm just argumentative but <laughs> it, it, it 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 literally is my my brain is just looking at the problem differently yeah and and so you know i, I think as i've got older i realized that Potentially, the thing that makes me look at problems differently to other people is because my brain is wired a little differently. And and that's a strength, not a weakness. Um, it means that, you know, if you put a whole bunch of people in a room and none of them are dyslexic, they probably are all going to think the same and see the same solution, which may actually not be the best way forward at all. Mm. Um, whereas I think when you have someone in the room who's thinking differently just because they don't even realise they're thinking differently, they're just wondering why everybody else is agreeing with everything. <laughs> um, in, in part of my role now with corrections is, you know, looking at looking at prisons and 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 you know what you know what is overrepresented in prisons, and 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 we have several different types of minorities that are overrepresented in prisons, but one of those things that that flows through fairly strongly as a percentage is people with learning difficulties and dyslexia is right up there amongst those learning difficulties. Um, So we owe it to those people to try and show them that there's an alternate path and that if they're willing to do some of the work they can get themselves onto a different track.
0: Yeah it's um, such significant work isn't it trying to engage young people so they don't end up going down that track I think there really is a percentage of young people that end up in the justice system because they just because they're dyslexic I mean there are some that you know there are other reasons but um, I think if we can get help some of those young people so they don't end up down that path would be an amazing achievement I feel like I would have done well, my if, job
1: <laughs> and, and look I agree but one of the things is people often say you know we've we've got to help people to be literate and and I'm like well, no, actually, we don't. We, we have to help people acquire the knowledge that they need and we have to help them to be able to communicate in the ways that they can. And so, you know, the idea, like if I look at a, um, let's take our Indigenous um, uh, our brothers and sisters, you know, First Nations people. Well, if, if someone was dyslexic um, before uh, we landed with uh, a written language, it didn't matter at all uh, in actual fact it may have been an advantage to their tribe because they've got someone who's looking at problems from a different perspective um, but because everything was passed down you know through dance um, through storytelling uh, through an oral tradition um, the idea of dyslexia was you know virtually irrelevant mm. and and they, and they did just fine for 40,000 years so So there's no reason we can't do just fine the question is how do we pass knowledge on how do we expand knowledge how do we help people acquire and and be able to communicate effectively and and technology can help a lot with that and so to me um, you know the idea of making everybody literate of course is a wonderful goal but but having a, a set of Um, processes by which you can acquire all the knowledge you want and communicate it to all the people who it needs to be communicated to is actually a slightly different goal and may actually be more helpful for some people who simply can't become literate to the extent the you know for one of a better example academia might require
0: mm, yeah and that's such a nice message because it's knowledge that's the power and i mean we talk yeah, about absolutely. education is a basic human right and i guess it's how you are educated and when we talk it's not you know it's we need to put interventions in early for children but some children are always going to struggle with their literacy skills so how do you get them to a point where their literacy skills are a, at a you know they can manage day to day but then they can absorb that knowledge in different ways to learn um yeah such a i mean, I, message. I think
1: you know i i am very fortunate because i can function in the world if someone gives me a business card you know if i just take my time and i'm not tired and i focus i can read all of the information on the business card without any trouble um, i can sit down and read a book you know i might have to go Back over a few pages several times because it doesn't sink in. But you know what I do is I, I subscribe to the Great Courses, and um, you know I'm 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 learning all the history that I wished I'd learned when I was at school because I'm just listening to effectively podcasts and broadcasts of of this knowledge and information which in in any civilization that had an oral tradition um, this was. Perfectly normal to learn and acquire through storytelling and dance and and visual cues and everything else. I mean, you know, our, our First Nations people knew where the waterholes were. It wasn't because someone wrote it down and gave them a book with the <laughs> Um And uh, and so whether you could read that book or not didn't matter. What mattered is if you knew where the waterhole was. And, that's
0: right. <laughs> and
1: and and it's the knowledge that's important, not 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 the document. And so. To me, if we, you know, that's not a reason to not try and help everybody be, um, you know, what I'd call functionally literate. Hmm. But at the point, you know, we we may well be missing out if we're over focusing on giving someone a set of literacy skills that they their brain just won't let them acquire,
0: Hmm. and
1: not pouring in the knowledge. I mean, if I had watched a bunch of videos, and they're they're probably all available now, I just haven't had the inclination. But for me to learn all of those. grammar structure and the meaning of all of those words that you know the the pronouns and the this and the that and all the different things well I can acquire all of that by watching videos I don't I don't need to read a book to acquire any of that Um, and and to me um, you know I think to a certain extent we may have overfocused where some people their skill set lies elsewhere Uh, people who may be fantastic at, with a memory or storytelling or, you know, um, songwriter or whatever, um, but they're not, they're never going to be um, a, a great, you know, written academic.
0: And I wonder if um, it's because more and more people are going to university now that there's an expectation that um, young people will just go, <laughs> but there's still such a place for trades and um, other types of employment. Um, but I wonder well, there's, if that's putting no more more pressure...
1: Well, I mean, you know, obviously I, I, I have uh, great esteem for academia and and that the, the high level research. To me, you know, whenever we've got a problem in the world, someone who's capable of researching and analysing and 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 putting that together and then articulating the solutions that that is a fantastic skill set. But it's not the only skill set, and and there are going to be people who who can have some great ideas without being able to write a 10,000 word essay on how to express those ideas. And, you know, someone who's a great orator may, in fact, not necessarily be a great writer, um, but they may be able to really, really speak publicly well without having to do that. Whereas, you know, for me, if, if I'm reading a speech in the parliament, if, you know, how on earth Hansard stays awake I don't know because it is so robotic and mechanical and free of any expression and um you know because I'm I'm literally reading the words in like this and you know and (laughs) and nobody's acquiring what I'm saying as knowledge you know the only way you could possibly acquire that would be to read it later because if you're listening to it you're gonna you're gonna go go to sleep um So to me, it is about horses for courses and early identification so that everybody can get what I'd call, you know, functionally literate in our community so that they can read a road sign, they can, you know, do all those functional things. But we need to be very careful. And I see it in my office, you know, people who, for whatever reason, you know, we find they've forgotten their glasses when when they're asked to fill a form in. And it's it's because they're not literate now. Whether that's through lack of education or whether that's through a learning difficulty, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't mean that they're not any worthy, you know, as worthy in our community. That just means we need to provide the knowledge in an alternate format. So you know, for me, videos, podcasts, um, you know, YouTube, all of these things are 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 so powerful to have for people who who. Are, Growing up with some of the difficulties I had.
0: That's um, um, really strong, powerful messaging. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners who might be struggling in school or the workplace or in life? I mean, you've given so many tips. It's been fantastic. I'm really excited to go and try some. But any key. Well, messages what I w-
1: Yeah. Look, you know, for me, um, if if I had my time again, I'd I'd probably get less angry um
0: <laughs> uh, you know
1: and uh, that that might be useful because sometimes people overlooked what i was trying to do because of of behavior um so as a young person i would say you know you y- you need to find where your strengths lie and and if they don't lie in the written and and word then where do they lie and it may be that you're a great crafts person it may be that you're artistic it it could be that you're musical now that's not a reason to not apply yourself to get yourself to a base level Um, but you know follow your passions and and follow follow your strengths and if reading is not one of your strengths then acquire the knowledge in other ways and and we live in a time where that is very possible
0: that's fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's just been wonderful to listen to your story and all the ways that you manage day to day. It's been great. Thank you so much, Trevor. We really appreciate it.
1: No, well, look, I appreciate the opportunity. If it helps one person, then then I maybe should have I should have added myself a long time ago. But as I say, it was. You know, the reason I kept it to myself is because I I never wanted anybody to make an exception. Uh, I've always been a fighter. And so if you are struggling out there, you know, be a fighter, but but don't be so proud that you won't ask for help, which is maybe something I suffered from along the way.
0: Well, I don't think it's ever too late to come out and talk about being dyslexic. And hopefully um, people that have listened to your story might encourage other leaders or people in positions where they can influence and support to come out if they've got dyslexia as well so thank you so much and really appreciate your time
1: oh great really appreciate yours good luck with the podcast
0: thanks trevor to find out more about trevor's story and to see all the work he did during our national dyslexic awareness month campaign head to the dear dyslexic website if you haven't already done so yet make sure you sign up to our mailing list so you can keep up to date with everything we do at The Foundation. Head to Deardyslexic.com. And don't forget, if there is anything you have heard today that was distressing, please call Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36 or Lifeline on 13 11 14. If there is a topic you would like discussed on the show, please email us admin at deardyslexic.com. I hope you've enjoyed today, bye for now.